Support for Spoleto Backstage is made possible in part by Brook Green Gardens, presenting Bruce Monroe Southern Light, an outdoor immersive exhibit featuring seven large-scale works of art and light. Now open Wednesday through Saturday evenings. Advanced tickets are required and are available at brookgreen.org. Hello and welcome to Spoleto Backstage. It's your ticket not only to a few of Spoleto Festival USA's most memorable performances, but also to some of the behind-the-scenes action and the personalities that have made it all possible. Even in this unprecedented year without a Spoleto Festival, a year without so many different things, there's way more than enough to explore and enjoy from past seasons. Plus, plenty to catch up on when it comes to some of the festival's longtime stars and chamber music heavyweights. I'm Bradley Fuller, and I'm excited to say you'll be hearing from one of those stars, the incredible cellist Elisa Weilerstein, on this very episode. And once more, you'll also be hearing quite a bit from that champion of chamber music, the first violinist of the St. Lawrence String Quartet, and artistic director of the Spoleto Festival Chamber Music Series, also my phenomenal co-host, Jeff Nuttall. Jeff, great to have you again. It's a pleasure to be back with you, Bradley, from my basement in California, uh, sharing some incredible music from the past 10 years uh, from the Spoleto Festival. And I mean, this is as close as we get to live, the live concert experience that we're missing out on now. But uh, you guys, uh, I got to thank you again. It's just, you've captured so much of the energy from the stage of Dock Street Theater. And it, it makes me really happy listening to some of these performances and going back in time and being able to feel that energy coming both from the stage and from the audience. So thanks to you and your team for making this happen. Well, it's definitely a pleasure for us too. And, uh, you know, all the people that you don't necessarily hear on the air, the engineers, producers, they're all working to make it happen. So a big tip of the hat to them as well. But I definitely agree that, you know, music has the power to take us places to, say, Dock Street Theater in a year where things have been a bit more normal than they have been this time around. And in fact, this program for today, this 2016 program featuring Fritz Kreisler, Osvaldo Golohov, and Tchaikovsky, well, it rounds out with, in a sense, music meant to take us someplace or evoke some memory, some impression. Music that even has the word souvenir in the title. Yeah, Tchaikovsky. It's ironic because this music couldn't be more Russian in so many ways, but the influences of Tchaikovsky's uh, trip to Italy are there. He was, you know, he was, he loved being in Italy. Uh, but don't be fooled. This is not Italian music. It's, it's music that was perhaps inspired by a trip that he took. And there are supposedly suggestions of winds through Florence and uh, one of the middle sections of the scherzo. Uh, but for the most part, this is Tchaikovsky at his most passionate, his orchestral sounding chamber piece in, in a sense. And it's one of his great pieces of any genre. Well, you have quite the team of performers there. It's almost a chamber orchestra, would you say? Well, it, it, I mean, the sound, I got it. Look, I'm a huge Tchaikovsky fan. I think he's one of the great, well, he's a great genius who's highly underestimated and, and often disrespected because he was so popular both in his day and today, like Nutcracker. Everybody goes every year and you think, oh, I don't want to hear the Nutcracker again. If you actually listen to the Nutcracker, it's tremendous. It's tune after tune orchestrated in such an imaginative way. So I have ultimate respect for Tchaikovsky and what he accomplished. And uh, this is one of those great pieces. It's 
he has a way of combining the instruments. It really does sound like a full chamber orchestra with the two cellos and the violas. But then the, the virtuoso writing for the strings, especially listen in the slow movement, there's this incredible love duet between the first violin and the first cello. And, and this is like coming together, Elisa Weilerstein playing first cello, Olivia Sohn playing violin, first violin, who's also, Olivia's my wife, but to to watch that interaction and that back and forth and, and to hear it is really special. And, you know, we met Elisa in Charleston and uh, Olivia and Elisa have become really close friends. So it's sort of a, it's music, it's family, it's friends, uh, it's bouncing off each other and the energy back and forth, inspiring each other. Uh, it, it was a really beautiful performance of a piece that I love uh, dearly. And, and that, I mean, and this concert, oh my God, it was so intense because, um, Oswaldo Golohoff was our composer in residence. And Oswaldo is, I think, one of the world's great geniuses. In my opinion, the world's greatest living composer. And it was such an honor to have him write a new piece for us, for Tyler Duncan and the St. Lawrence Quartet. Um, and this was a, a piece that was going to be an aria in an opera that he was writing for the Metropolitan Opera, which subsequently got canceled. It was a whole mess. So this is the remnants of that incredible, what would have been an incredible opera. But if you don't know, Oswaldo works, um, how do I put this? It's, the piece is never finished. He came with the score, but the act of working with him and with Tyler and the quartet and back and forth and right up to the last dress rehearsal uh, or the right up to the only dress rehearsal, I should say, uh, the piece was transforming and being changed and notes were being changed and bars were being cut and added. And it was like you know, watching Jackson Pollock right up to the last minute working on the painting. And so it was really intense because of that preparation and, and trying to make Oswaldo's vision uh, come true. And the, the juxtaposition of uh, Golahoff, the intensity of this piece and the intensity of Tyler Duncan, uh, followed by the different but equally intense Tchaikovsky souvenir to Florence made for a, uh, and a really remarkable program. And I knew that we, we couldn't have more intensity to begin. So we have the young American violin virtuoso, Benjamin Bauman, performing two pieces by Fritz Kreisler, one of my heroes on the violin. He died last century, but he was one of those early virtuosi that they had a sound unlike anything you've heard. If, if you haven't had a chance to hear Kreisler, just do a YouTube thing. But Fritz Kreisler was not only an amazing violinist, but a prolific composer usually writing pieces for violin that he played himself on his recital tours. So this is sort of a old school, new school. Ben is a very old school violinist and one of the great young American musicians. So he's channeling some of that Chrysler energy here for this. Totally. You really get a sense that he's connected to that history. And, and he, I mean, he plays the violin unlike anyone I've heard recently. Well, these first two pieces seem like a winning combination to me. Music by a virtuoso violinist of the past, Fritz Kreisler, performed by a virtuoso violinist of the present. What are we going to hear, Jeff? We have Preludium and Allegro, followed by Caprice Viennois, Opus 2, by Kreisler, performed by Benjamin Bielman, violin, and Pedro Mutsiewicz, piano. Let's welcome them to the Dock Street Theater stage. Thank you. 
Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Oswaldo Gohoff. So, um, I'm writing an opera called Iphigenia, which uh, you may know the story of Iphigenia, uh, is the beginning of the Troy War. Uh, the Greek armies are, are assembled at the port of Aulis, uh, ready to sail to Troy. But a month goes by and there is no wind to push their sails. So they start getting, imagine all these armies on, in the beach camping and they grow very restless. And Agamemnon, the king and army chief, goes to the oracle and the oracle says, in order for wind to come, you'll have to kill your daughter Iphigenia to sacrifice her. And he agrees. And this is what war is about, right? I mean, that's why we keep, no, no, seriously, this is, you know, why, why do we keep uh, uh, reinterpreting these Greek tragedies? Because they are contemporary, you know, any, any king, any president that declares war knows that children will die. Um, anyways, he, so he uh, sends a messenger to his palace and to his wife Clytemnestra and says, bring Iphigenia with you because we are getting her married to Achilles, the most dashing warrior of our armies. What a lie, what a horrible thing. Then he regrets that because of course he says, who am I, I'm a monster, right? So what happened is that right before in the opera, right before this scene starts, uh, Agamemnon he has a dialogue with Clytemnestra and she begins to realize that he lied to her. And so she says, stand aside, king. So all notions, stand aside, king. Stand aside. And she leaves, she storms. And then that motive is taken by the quartet at the beginning of the piece and haunts Agamemnon. Now, the interesting thing to me, it's like, not the, the I, had, I am a very lucky Composer first because I have this uh, quartet and Tyler Duncan, and we had the most incredible week uh, discovering the piece together, really. But also the librettist of the opera is a, an Irish playwright called Conor McPherson, who wrote this tremendous arch of uh, 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 where Agamemnon starts like a powerful king that still thinks he's powerful. So the, the, the area starts, drag down the sky, bury the stars, let no light fall upon me, as if he can really uh, uh, still have power over, over mountains and, and skies. And then it ends in the most, uh, 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 really like a, like a naked child, like saying, goddess, goddess, uh, cradle me, cradle me uh, against your breast and breathing. He's just like, like a terrified little child, a little bit like King Lear. It's like that, you know, it's a, the story that we, I guess we are at different times of our lives, we go through it, you know, we think, whoa, and then we realize that we are nothing. Anyways. Thank you, Oswaldo. To present this world premiere, my colleagues in the St. Lawrence String Quartet Owen Dalby, Leslie Robertson, Christopher Costanza, the remarkable baritone Tyler Duncan. Please welcome them.
sees the air collapsing Gone Gone Mother Each child As far as my brother 
Okay, I've just traded. This is Leslie Robertson's viola, which I'm gonna play. As part of this party team, we're gonna present to you Tchaikovsky's masterpiece, Souvenir de Florence, Souvenir of Florence. Last few years of his life, he went on a trip to Italy and he was hanging out in Florence and he wrote a melody there, and he won't say which one, but this piece is sort of imbued with the spirit, even though he went back to St. Petersburg to write it. So in, in the slow movement, in the middle section, you'll hear the Scirocco winds breezing through Florence, a little musical evocation of the warm winds coming through. And the melodies are so heartfelt, so romantic, so operatic in many respects. Um, my boys, I have a nine-year-old and a four-year-old, and they're they're collecting football cards right now. It's a big thing, really into it. They put them in teams, they put them in positions, and I, it got me thinking, and this is really a marketing question. I don't know if there are any members of the Spoleto team here today, um, but what about like chamber music trading cards? <laughs> right? We could have like, I mean, I, when I was a kid, I was totally, it was hockey cards for me. But I was totally into it. And you could have statistics like, you know, wrong notes played, uh, uh, you know, t number of instruments, number of concerts, size, weight, all those statistics, school that you went to, teachers, the whole thing. I think it'd be really cool. And today we really have the dream team of string chamber music. And if we were going to keep this going, which I think I'm going to, our football card analogy, Daniel Phillips and myself are the offensive line. Total all-star team viola section. <laughs> Talk about an all-star team, the cello section. And we're gonna, they're going to be the all-star pass rushers, the defensive linemen, Christopher Costanza and Elisa Weilerstein laying down the middle. And of course, the violin section, it, another quarterback, star running back, Livia Sohn, Benjamin Bileman. So we have this incredible team before you. We're not going to injure ourselves, I hope. <laughs> there are four movements. Uh, Allegro Vivace, first movement, and then incredible slow movement with this beautiful love duet uh, between the two girls in the group, ironically, uh, Olivia and Elisa, with the wind in the middle. And then there's a charming, uh, well, it's sort of like a scherzo or a minuet, very Russian dance tune with a rollicking center section and a bravura allegro vivace finale fourth movement. 
So the team is ready. The team is tuned up. Let's welcome them to the stage.
Thank you. 
incredible sonic energy live from the Dock Street Theater stage in Charleston, South Carolina. That was Tchaikovsky's Souvenir de Florence, performed by Livia Sohn and Benjamin Bileman violins, Daniel Phillips and Jeff Nuttall viola, Elisa Weilerstein and Christopher Costanza cello. Elisa is one of those cellists who transcend the instrument. Her her energy on stage. I remember I was sitting next to her because I was playing viola, and I was just like, I felt like I was you know, like hanging onto a lifeboat on a rough sea. It was an incredible trip, uh, and she has a power unlike few musicians I've ever been around. That was a real a real treat. Well, her music making skills are simply out of this world, as we just heard, and she's also a really fun person to talk to. Jeff, as I think you can attest from a recent conversation you two had. Well, you know, it's it's hard to interview old friends, but uh, she's an old friend, but she's also one of my heroes. So it was sort of a, it was for me, it was an exciting experience. And and But I know there's so many, we could have gone on for hours. There's so many interesting aspects of her life, both present and past and her plans for the future. So it was a, it was a treat for me. And y'all got to speak to each other, both in California, but in different locations. You in the San Francisco area, Jeff, and Elisa in San Diego. Let's have a listen to that conversation you had. Right off the bat, what I, I was trying to do an interview and not mention COVID, but I, I, I you know, it's hard. It's fail. hard to avoid. It's very hard to avoid. And I know pianists have their whole world in their in their room, and but I know you have you got through all the box suites yet? Yes. I, I know you've been. You want to tell us about that? We actually arrived in San Diego on March 13th. We arrived from Berlin, so it was actually two hours before the travel ban went into effect. So yeah, it was it was actually all very dramatic. We we couldn't get a direct flight into San Diego. We we got into LA and we were in, I mean, talk about not social distancing. I mean, we were in like a veritable petri dish of you know three hour long immigration line just all, all packed stacked on top of each other. It was it was a, uh, yeah, it was, it was it was quite a dramatic uh, week or so to, trying to scramble to get to get over here while while everything was, basically everything was kind of collapsing around us. And um, so we got here and self isolated, of course. My, my my husband, my, my daughter, and um, and also my, my daughter's nanny came with us as well. Yeah, so 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 we were here, and um, my strong instinct at that time, when we were just trying to make sense of this new reality, was I just wanted to throw something out there. And um, I I mean, I think Bach is probably the most universally touching and kind of visceral music um, that there is, and so that that was my strong instinct that I just wanted to. Um, just wanted to play Bach. I wanted to play Bach for myself, and I also wanted to play Bach for people. And since we couldn't convene in concert halls in the in the way that we know and that I've been doing since I was I don't know my whole life basically, I um so I just I just started posting them, and it was very important to me that I do it in real time. So of course there are thirty six movements of Bach, six suites, six movements each, and so. I posted one movement per day. So it was 36 days of Bach and I actually recorded them in real time. So I literally recorded one movement per day and, and I would, and I would post it and, and I would post them. So that was, it, it kind of became a ritual for me too. And it was very important for me to kind of learn how to structure my day and in, in the new, new COVID reality. Remind me, you recorded, of course, all the cello suites yeah. on a record. When, how long ago was that now? I was, it was recent. I mean, um, the CD came out on April 3rd. Uh, oh, it's that recent. Yeah. Oh, I thought it was a couple of years ago. No, wow. no, oh, no, so. no. I was, uh, I, I was not ready in my mind <laughs> a couple of years ago. It's, I somehow, I, I had done a lot of Bach marathon concerts, meaning I, I played all six suites in one go. I've been doing that for the past four years. 
and so I just felt, yeah, last summer I, I felt like I was ready to kind of document this moment in time. You know, I was, I was 37, I'm youngish uh, mother and, um, and I was kind of in a very particular spot with the sweets. And I just felt like I was, um, like it was time to document this moment in time. Are you happy with the record? Are you, do you find yourself <laughs> playing, playing now and going, oh, I wouldn't have done it that way. What's the feeling? You know, How do you feel about it? I, I'm, I'm proud of the recording. Yes. Um, a short answer. Um, of course, you know, every time I mean, I, I try not to listen to it. I mean, it's very hard to hear oneself. I mean, I, I don't know how you, how you feel about listening to your own recordings, but I, I find it really hard to listen to my own recordings. Uh, horrible, it's, horrible. It's, it's awful. Right. And so, um, you know, so, so I, I mean, I, I listened to a couple of things. I just, because I was kind of curious as to, because I recorded four suites last July and then the, uh, the other two um, in September. And so I just, you know, I, I thought, okay, well, am I thinking of them differently now? And of course there, there are little things where I think, Oh, I, I mean, I wouldn't do, you know, certain spots this way or, or that, but I mean, it was, it was representative of what I was doing at the time. And, and, and um, you know, it's a, I, I, I still like it, you know, as, as much as I think I can like my own <laughs> recording, yeah. I, 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 I'm, I'm happy with it in that sense. Hey, now that we're on recordings, do you mind talking about um, both one of my favorite recordings and a really cool story, the whole Elgar Concerto, yeah. Daniel Barenboim, that, do you mind talking about that? It's, it's just such an ama amazing time in history and the, the connections and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's been how many years now since that happened? 2012. So yeah, um, like, oh, well, wow, like seven and a half years or so. Yeah, it was yeah it's coming on. Mm -hmm. So I should, I mean, I, I'm talking and I should explain to people or I should let you explain to people what the incredible meaningfulness of the Oligarch Concerto and Baron Boehm and that whole experience. What was that like? The, I mean, the, the connection that everyone makes immediately is, of course, the Jacqueline Dupre. And she was my, probably my earliest childhood hero. I mean, I listened to four cellists uh, growing up in particular in Casals, Piatigorsky, Rostropovich and, and Jacqueline Dupre. And I mean, Jacqueline Dupre, especially, I think I listened to every recording she ever made, you know, before I was 10 and I was, I was completely obsessed. And, um, the Barbaroli and the Baron Boy Elgar recordings, I mean, I, I kind of had on, you know, repeat <laughs> such, such, yeah. such as it was at the time. And, um, you know, I saw the documentary that Christopher Newpin filmed on, on, on her. Um, yeah, I was, I was just in love with her. So when I first learned the Elgar concerto, I was around 12 and I realized that I would have to give her a break. Otherwise I was just going to wind up sounding exactly like her as much as I loved her. Of course, <laughs> you know, no one wants to Im imitate anyone and to, to copy. So I put her recordings away actually for quite a long time. And so then in terms of my interaction with, with Daniel Barnboim, I had actually been trying to play for him for six years before I actually managed to get in front of him. So I was... I think it was 26 when I first, when I first, when I finally um, was able to play for him. And so huh. I started with, um, I played Dvorak concerto first movement and um, Haydn D major concerto. And I, I think a movement of a Beethoven sonata or something like that, and kind of an audition type of thing. And then he, you know, he, he was interested to start kind of working with me, but just kind of giving me lessons in, in, in a way. And so I, I saw him over, over a period of a few months, I, I kind of, I played for him. And then um, I ran into um, the conductor who had introduced me to him, who whose name, a uh, con Israeli conductor named um, Asha Fish. And this was a few months after my, my first interaction with, with, uh, with Barn Boyman. And I, and I was scheduled to um, have another lesson with him in New York, actually when he was going to do a Bruckner cycle at Carnegie Hall. And he said, you know, you really should play the Elgar concerto for him. And I said, I will never do that. 
I can't. <laughs> I, there's absolutely no way. Anything but that. Literally anything. And he said, no, no, no. As many of your listeners probably know, Jacqueline Dupre was married to Daniel Barenboim. And so when Asher Fish um, said that I should play the Elgar for him, I said anything but that. For all of those reasons, I, I just felt like that was impossible. But then he said, look, you know, there's no one in the world who knows that piece the way he does. And, you know, you're going to learn so much from him if you play it for him. And so then it, when I looked at it that way, I got the courage to to play it for him. And so I, I got to, I, he was um, he was about to give a concert like two hours after he was meeting with me. And so he was already in, he was already at Carnegie Hall and on stage. And, and he said, okay, so what do you want to play for me? You know, he very, speaks very bluntly like, like that. And so I, and wow. I, and I said, uh, concerto, you know, and, and I said, okay. And he sat down at the piano, speaking of memory, by the way, no score. And he played through the entire thing with me by memory. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and so then we, you know, we, we worked on it uh, quite a bit. And then he said to me, um, I'm going to conduct the Berlin Philharmonic uh, next year in Oxford. Would you like to play the Elgar Concerto with me? Do you want to do it? Oh, so, 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 so do you, do you, do you or not like that? <laughs> 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 and so of course I said no. And I just, uh, no, of course, I, of, course, of course I said yes. And, um, and so a year later we, um, that, 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 that's the, you know, the, the Berlin Philharmonic wow. concert. And, and then we recorded it along with the, the Carter Concerto a couple of years after that. Wow. Yeah. So that must have been terrifying to be on stage <laughs> playing Elgar for Baron Boyne, yeah. right? I yeah. mean, that I, is that the most nervous you've ever been in, in public playing yes. the cello? Yes. <laughs> I, I was, I, I said to friends because um, it was actually a, a glorious uh, New York kind of evening in, in May when I, when I finally left I was walking with my cello down, you know, 57th street. And then I walked into central park and I went, I wound up somewhere in sheep meadow. I have no idea how I got there. I just was uh -huh. in a complete daze afterwards. It was like, what wow. in the world just happened? Yeah. Floating on air. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Basically. Incredible. Yeah. 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 Wow. What a great story. That's so cool. <laughs> Incredible. Hey, I was wondering, you know, we're both really close friends with Oswaldo Gullhoff. Yes. I know I'm not, I'm not supposed to be talking about myself. Well, so. but you're, you're the reason that I know Os Osvaldo. I mean, he's, you know, you, you introduced me to, to his music and, and actually. Yeah, well, I, I'm John the Evangelist for Osvaldo. Well, right, so, rightly so. Yeah. I mean, he's a genius. And um, yeah. I remember actually around the time that I got to know, that I got to know you, I started listening to, I don't, I don't even know if I told you this, but like I started listening to your recording of, of you know the 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 CD the complete CD of of, of his chamber music with the dreams and prayers of Isaac the blind and Yiddish book and I I listened to that on repeat I was completely obsessed with it and, and yeah wow. no so so that was uh, yeah so I guess I never told you that and so I um so that was the reason that I was I really got interested in Golihov's music and so and so I got to know him I think a, a year or so after that and I um I learned Omaramor which is his so which is wonderful solo piece that he wrote in 1991 and that was the original first movement of the last round right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's a great, yeah. another story, but you, yeah. you, nobody plays that like you do. That's incredible. Uh, was, I love the piece. Though we should, well, it, it, just for you geeks who are listening, that, that, that piece that he wrote, it was originally his long cello solo followed by this string octet. And it was super cool, um, but it was pra sort of impractical because you'd have a band standing on stage <laughs> sitting there and waiting for the solo and then playing for like four minutes. And it was, so we, we Barry Schiffman and I sort of convinced him, Hey, Ozzy, this cello solo is incredible. And, but we love an octet. So he, he separated the solo, which became a more and yeah. more. 
and then he he added another octet piece or nonet piece, yeah. sorry, and it became last round. So yeah, it's a, it's sort of cool to be part of that history and to it's see amazing. that happening. Absolutely, absolutely. No, but I'm I remain eternally in your in your debt for introducing me to him. Honestly, <laughs> yeah. Well, I I'm wondering, you know, maybe we. It is a, a spoleto centric yes. uh, conversation. Yes, please. All, we met there. Yeah. Uh, we have Charles Wadsworth to thank for that. But yeah. any any good Charleston stories? Oh I mean, God. I we you enjoy things other than music as well. But I I know we've had some great meals in Charleston. What <sighs> any great memories from through the years being at Spoleto? Oh God, there are too many. I mean, I I fell in love with Charleston and the architecture and you know the the, the beauty of the of the place and. Um, making lifelong friendships. I mean, you know, <laughs> case in point right now. I remember when, when we first played Schubert Quintet together, that was that was really, really special for me. And also I remember um, when I was talking to Charles actually before we met, before I first came to Spoleto and he, and he asked, you know, do you want, would you like to play something with the St. Lawrence Quartet? And I said, of course. And do you think they would play Bekletenacht with me? And then I think you guys were a bit skeptical. And uh, Charles called me back and he said, they want to know if you've played it before. And I said, yes, I played it before. So, so then, so, so then, so then you guys accepted, uh, <laughs> you, you, you guys oh, accepted it. Yeah, it was, snob. no, no, no. It's of course. I, I mean, I, I probably, I would have done the same in your position. And so then we, that, I think that was the first thing that I played in Spoleto was, was my with, with, with your quartet. Yeah. I should point out to our yeah. listeners that Elisa knew the piece better than anyone on stage. <laughs> believe me, that was like, there was no, she was not a 20. Well, no, totally true. You were 21 with just a number. You had, you had that piece inside you. It yeah. was incredible. So oh, it was, yeah, it was, was fun. It was really fun. Yeah. yeah that's it. That, those are great, great moments. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I, I mean, many of you have heard Elisa, but it's hard to describe the energy that emanates from her on stage. It's really a magical thing, and it's unparalleled in my experience. So, it's uh, okay. if you you know get a chance, watch some video, listen to some some recordings, and and get a just a you'll get a, a small taste of what it's like to be with her on stage. Well, um, likewise, so I mean, about, look who's about, talking. Well, it's a, diff, a different kind of thing. <laughs> no, and, come on, I'm a I'm a quartet player. Um, so what about food? I know, yeah. you know, we've, we've, that's, to me, it's a Charleston is this incredible mix of the history and architecture and the music and then this food culture. Now. Yeah. It's, uh, I always have to go on a major diet after, after I leave Charleston, honestly, it's like, <laughs> I gain it's, like, you know, five pounds of, you know, every time I go to totally Spoleto. true. <laughs> you know, you think it's, that like with the heat and, you know, because it's, it's always so hot by the time we go down there and, and we're playing concerts every day, but it's like, why? No, I'm so fat after Charleston. I have to get this, you know, <laughs> it's always, the fact that food is just so good there. Well, I mean, the, the problem with this, Elisa, I, I could just sit here and it's like we're in a restaurant. We could just catch up for another two hours. Well, I mean, it's, I feel uh, funny because I'm only talking about myself, but yes, we have to, well, we no, have to do a proper catch up for sure. Yeah, no, but this is. <laughs> I so appreciate you taking the time and it's, it's been incredible to catch up and a real honor to talk to you. Oh, so, um, it's great, great to talk I, to you, um, sir. yeah, we'll, we'll see you sooner than later, I hope, and, and stay safe and give uh, hugs to the family. Yes. And you, and you too, to your gorgeous family, please. Cheers. All right. Take care. Bye. Bradley, I've, I've really got to thank you for allowing me to take the reins, so to speak, and, and interview my good friend, Elisa. It was a treat. Well. Jeff, I appreciate you doing that. And thanks for sharing that conversation with us. I mean, it was a lot of fun for me to hearing two musicians like you and Elisa discuss. And 
I imagine quite a few others who were excited to learn a bit more about the life and perspective of such a top-notch performer. Spoleto Backstage is made possible in part by Bank of America and the ETV Endowment of South Carolina. Special thanks to Spoleto Festival USA. The engineer for this podcast is Duke Marcos. The producer is A.T. Shire. The executive producer is Sherry Hutchinson. I'm Bradley Fuller. I'm Jeff Nuttall. And until next time, take care. 